Welcome to the Deep Dive, Emerald City Hockey's Seattle Kraken podcast. All right, RJ, as we kick off this episode of the Deep Dive, I want to talk about anniversaries. Big one today, big one tomorrow. Going to see if you know them. Can you guess what the big anniversary okay. is today? February 28th. February 28th. All right. Let's see. What is it? February it's, it's, 28th. It's hockey related. It's hockey related. Okay. Okay. I was going to say, I know I haven't <laughs> missed my own anniversary or anything like that. Um, let's see. February 28th. And okay. The tomorrow one, that's, is this a trick question? Is it the 29th or is it March 1st? It's March 1st. Okay. Um, but don't worry about that one if you can't get this first one. February 28th. Um, I, is that did I, is that when we went to that that like scouting that tournament you had to scout in San Jose? We went to <laughs> one of the games together. Is that uh, what that was? But, no, it wasn't. I mean, maybe it was. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it's the golden goal. Sidney Crosby winning it in overtime for Canada. Don't remind me. <laughs> I know, I was so obnoxious to all the American fans, because, I mean, I had to go for my boy Sid, right? Mm-hmm. I have yeah, to. Yeah, sure, sure. But, but that was really the warm-up question, because tomorrow's anniversary is far more important. You okay. Have, you have any idea? March 1st. Is that when we went to that tournament to scout? <laughs> <laughs> that would be hysterical. No, but... Uh, I give up. Nothing? Really? Okay. Does I, does our relationship mean nothing to you, RJ? March first. It's not one of the birthday cards. It's um, is I mean, is that the day that we that the, the reflections day that <laughs> the where reflections we, day where we met? No, I have no idea when that was either. I don't. I don't. I guess I don't care about us that much either. But it's it's a the one year anniversary of us posting content on YouTube. March first, twenty twenty one was when we put the. Uh, that uh, you know, sick at the time. Maybe it hasn't aged as well. Coming soon trailer on YouTube. <laughs> right. Hey, congrats. There we go. Way to spot that. So there, oh, there's really been a year. It has been a year since we've been like producing content for Emerald City Hockey. Yeah. So. Wow. Just just thought I'd throw that one out there. See if see if you remembered. Obviously you didn't. <laughs> you know because. When you, when you look at because I've I recently looked at the like last 365 days whatever thing on uh, on YouTube our analytics and the line is so flat for the first little while of that I just yes. assumed it started later. I know I know nobody watched us until yeah close to the expansion draft there uh, deep into April May kind of in there um, but yes no one year anniversary of us us doing this so. Uh, excited like about think that. We've come a long way. I very much think we have. Nobody needs to go back and look at those first couple podcasts we did. On yeah, there. Don't worry about that. <laughs> I, definitely, that is not why I'm bringing it up at all. That's for sure. Um, but uh, thought I'd throw that one out there. It's it's been a heck of a ride here with you, bud. Yep, <laughs> happy to still be doing this. It's been a really fun year. Uh, and here's to the next year ahead. Yeah, yeah. No, it's gonna be good. Um, just just thought I'd, I'd throw that out there. It was fun thinking about it, thinking about all the stuff back then. And I love how you did that, too, putting me on the spot. <laughs> yes. There was it's, no way. I was thinking back way further. I was going to say, forget what the fans expect. That's just what you should always expect at this point <laughs> from being my friend. I'm just going <laughs> to pin you to the wall like that. <laughs> yep. <laughs> all right. So moving on to uh, actual stuff, of course, you know, this week the deep dive is going to be into rebuilds and what maybe the Kraken can look at as far as past examples and the key things to hit on with those as far as building up your team. It's not so much of a rebuild for the Kraken as just a build in general. Uh, I think we should make Bob the Builder. You just go ahead and make him the mascot for the Kraken for these first couple of years. I think <laughs> that would be very apt, but you know, maybe there might be some licensing rights you know, stuff going on there. Maybe that's Ron the Builder. I was going to say, Ron the Builder. There we go. Uh, can he do it? Maybe. We will see. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we're going to get to that uh, second half of the podcast. First, got to talk about the Kraken. Of course, we didn't have deep dive last week because of you know, your travel and all this stuff going on uh, around that and games and stuff. So we've got a decent section of games here to talk about, RJ. Unfortunately, they're, they're all losses. Yeah, 
Every last one of them, they are all losses. I think it was three losses that we missed uh, last week, and then uh, how many more on top of that this week? Four. Four more. Four. Okay, so we've got the whole losing streak in there. All right, we've yeah. got all seven. Which is why it's so important that we do this, because Kraken have not won a game since we you know, have missed in there, I guess, a little bit. Well, I guess we did one, yeah, shortly after the Ducks win on the 11th. That was their last win. Okay. So, so yeah, there we go. It's our fault is what you're saying. Well, no, we're going to be the saviors that fix all this. When they win Wednesday night against Nashville, it's going to be because okay. we came back. Okay, got it, got it. That's 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 what we want the people thinking, RJ. We don't want the other. Yes. I know. Yes, you've gotta you've gotta have the more positive party line there. Yeah, think right. whatever you want. Listen but, to uh, Dylan, everyone. Yeah, will tell you how it is. Um, so really, it's kind of been the same old, same old issues for them. Sure, there was the rough games in there, the the big losses. We got leafed pretty hard by them. That was that was definitely <laughs> sure. there. Uh, Winnipeg kind of did their thing. Really close game against Calgary, though, and that was the first game that we kind of saw this, you know, newfound, hey, we're going to try to be a little bit more speed-based, and we'll try that. Mm -hmm. And I thought in the couple games where they really committed to that, they looked very, very good. I was really disappointed that we didn't see it against the Sharks, considering Sharks coming off back-to-back, -back, goalie coming off back-to-back, -back, got a ton of rookies in that lineup, just try to, you know, keep the pressure on them, keep that sustained speed attack going. I, I think... They could have gotten, you know, a W last night. Yeah, for sure. Certainly, and I mentioned this in post game. It was weird to see such a big talent imbalance in the Kraken's favor. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, you can't always have that speed approach against every team. Uh, you know, given that some teams are just going to be able to kind of beat you at it. The Leafs are probably a good example of that. Mm -hmm. um, but against a team like the Sharks, it was certainly there for the taking. And you know, they had a good start early on, but they just couldn't keep that game together and ended up just kind of getting into the slow, try to forecheck it out type of game that just didn't work for them. No, and this is really the thing that um, I guess bothers me the most about the losing streaks so far this season, the the numerous losing streaks, has been they've gone and tried stuff. They have. Mm -hmm. they've, they've tried things that I've thought were really good ideas and that over a prolonged period of time would work. It's just, unfortunately, for whatever reason, they'll try it and then they'll lose a game or two while trying that and then they'll be like, well, that wasn't the answer. Let's move on to something else. When in those game or two, it might have just been, you know, okay, you were playing a really, really good team or you just got a couple bad bounces and that's what made the difference. You know what I mean? Like in that Calgary game, they played a fantastic game. They just got beat. But like there was no reason not to take the lessons of that game and try to carry that forward. Uh, but they didn't because they were just like, oh, well, we tried it and it didn't really quite work out for us. You know what I mean? And And I feel like that is, I guess, the thing that is kind of emblematic of maybe yes this team falling into that losing culture where you're just chasing the 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 dragon a little bit there you know you're chasing that that winning result and you're not kind of paying attention to what you're doing and and what the results within those losses are because losses can be very different yeah for sure and we've certainly seen that in this losing streak how different losses can be i mean you compare the calgary game like we were talking about where you play really well just happened to get edged by a really better, you know, honestly, a better team. Mm -hmm. And you got to think if you play that same way, do that same style, your next game is against Vancouver. You should be able to, you know, especially physically, you know, against Calgary. Yeah, you're trying to, um, you know, outspeed them or whatever. But, you know, Vancouver, it's a little bit different style than what Calgary brings. You should be able to beat them. And it just you go chasing exactly like you said, chasing that result rather than focusing on the process. Right. And, and just building up, committing to something, knowing like, OK, there's going to be some bumps along the way while everyone, you know, really learns this, gets it down, all that stuff. But after a while, you're going to come out on the other side and you're going to win hockey games and you're going to have a really solid foundation. It is something that comes up during our postgame lives a lot. Right. Everybody pointing like, what is this system? We don't know because it's ever changing. It, and, and there are certainly nights where you can't even discern a pattern to see what what is going on. Um, and so I, I just think one of the big things for them is they just got to find something and I, and I think just stick with it. And I, I really thought that they were going to kind of use the midway point of the season to do that or, or come out of some of the long breaks that they had right at the end of December. I really thought like that would have been the perfect time to kind of, you know, figure some stuff out, work on it in practice, and then just commit to something. Season's looking kind of lost anyway. You don't really have to worry about that. 
I just, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm really surprised that we're not seeing anything more from them in that regard. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, you know, kind of talking about that, uh, do you have anything, any notes from, from practice, any, any injury updates you can give us guys working out what's going on? Yeah. Well, I did go to the Kraken's practice today. Uh, it was kind of a, um, uh, what do you call it? A pace day. Hackstall called it because they did just play last night. You know, they didn't really go too heavily in anything. I would expect things to ramp up a lot more tomorrow. Um, but what I did get to see, though, I actually got there very early because I thought practice was earlier than it was. Uh, so I got there way before practice and I got to see uh, Jaden Schwartz, Jared McCann and Carson Kuhlman all on the ice before practice. So that was good to see. I hadn't. I know they've been on the ice before practice. At least Schwartz had been, but I had never been there early enough to see him. So it was good to see him kind of work for pretty much a whole hour before practice. Uh, and they all kind of looked at levels of rehab, you know, just to the eye. Again, I got no official updates. This is all just based on what I've seen. Um, but Jared Schwartz, I mean uh, Jaden Schwartz, sorry, um, <laughs> Schwartz. Uh, he was doing a lot more stick handling. The last update we kind of had was well, he's touched the ice, but he's not stick handling. He was doing a lot of stick handling today. He had kind of pucks set up, just separated by you know a couple feet, stick handling in between the pucks, you know, around some other barriers. He was taking shots. Uh, his hand certainly looked you know more capable uh, than it had before. He was taking pucks off the boards. So again, no official update, but I've got to think he's getting closer. Uh, so that's a good sign to see. Uh, Jared McCann, on the other hand, he was placed on IR last Thursday, uh, still under a week from that for him. So he's obviously still out. He's going to miss the next game against Nashville. But uh, he looked okay. He was doing some skating drills. He was handling the puck. I don't remember him doing a lot of shooting. Again, we know it's an upper body injury. We don't know exactly what it is. Uh, but yeah, not a whole lot of shooting, but I, I wouldn't think that he'd be out too long given how he looked. And then finally, Carson Kuhlman, he seems like he's a ways off. He was doing some skating drills. He was fine with that, but he was extremely cautious handling the puck. I mean, very, very slow back and forth, you know, from one side to the other. It looked like a kid just kind of trying to first learn how to stick handle. So being very cautious there. Uh, obviously, we saw that injury, you know, on the hit there. It looked pretty bad. So I think he's still a ways out. Okay. I mean, that's, you know, that's fine. As we talked about last night, right, uh, in the postgame live guys like Jaden Schwartz, you know, there is no need to rush them back at this point, given, Mm -hmm. given where the season is at. Uh, so, but you know, good to get an update. I know everybody's been very curious about all that stuff. And then, um, yeah, I mean, I I keep trying to think like, I I guess, like I said earlier, I'd want to see the team kind of revert back to this, you know, push the pace of play, really try to keep the other team's defense on their heels. We saw them, you know, really confuse some defenses in those couple games that they were trying to do that. Um, I, I, I just love to see that a little bit more for them from them. What do you think of all the line shifting that they've done this past, you know, two weeks? Cause it's been a lot, like pretty it has. significant. Yeah, and, and some of it's been necessitated by injuries, but not all of it. And I think at one point, Hackstall essentially came out and said, Things have kind of gotten stale. We need to move some of these lines around. And, uh, you know, it, they've had mixed results. I think, you know, some of the lines that have done well, they've kept together, like Gord Appleton and, and I think Blackwell, you know, mm-hmm. on that line now. That line has consistently been good and they've consistently been together. So that makes sense. Uh, you know, with McCann being out, you've got Yarncroak playing center. Hackstall's made it clear that that's not ideal for them obviously but you know with McCann out you've got this weakness at center and Yarncroke is capable of stepping in there in a pinch and I think he's done well in that regard too yeah um so I think that's fine um Donato Geeky Zarnik you know that they've gone with recently you know again mixed results I'd like to see Geeky with a little bit more firepower you know on his line offensively but I understand just given the guys that are out it's hard to do and then the line I really want to talk about is uh, Cheyenne, Wenberg, and Donskoy. So Wenberg centering that line. I've just been calling it the leftovers line because it really feels like the other lines are all put together to kind of make sense where the guys are. And those are just the three guys who don't really have a fit. Uh, Wenberg obviously centering there where they tried him at 1C and it just didn't work out well. He's not playing 1C hockey uh, to the point where even Yarncroke, a natural winger, is is probably better for that spot. Um, Riley Shan, who's great, he's continued to do his thing, you know, and it can't, you know, knock his game. But again, he, with the fourth line being what it is with, you know, Geeky, Donato, and Zarnik, you've got to put Shea in somewhere else. 
you put him at wing there. He's the natural center, but he's a winger there. And then Jonas Donskoy, who, you know, we, we know what the story is with Donskoy this season. He's struggled to score goals. And really, it feels like they haven't found a place for him in the lineup uh, at this point. So it's just that whole leftovers line. And I, and I don't think they played particularly well, but I wouldn't necessarily expect anything different. No, they, they haven't played that great. I feel like Shahan's been playing the best of them. Like he's just Green. been the most consistent really for a little while now. Um, I, I think that line and the the kind of new fourth line are pretty directly linked to each other because I feel like since they've made geeky center of that kind of fourth line with Donato, Donato has fallen off. Like, mm-hmm. like I think Donato needed somebody either um, very offensive that could kind of take away a lot of defensive pressure from him and let him work more on one-on-one type situations or uh, allow him to kind of slip by defenses while they're maybe distracted by someone that they deem a little more high priority. And and that's what was allowing him to, you know, make his power moves going to the net and do all the stuff that he was doing Um be more effective on the dump and chase. Now mm-hmm. this line, they try to dump and chase. Everybody just floods to Donato because they know he's really the only guy they got to worry about in that situation. You know what I mean? So when he was playing with, let's say McCann or so something, somebody like that, that took away a lot of that focus. When he was playing with Shahan, Shahan drew a lot of focus away just because of his like defensive abilities. He could tie up guys in the transition game and open up space for Donato. And so I feel like Donato was kind of like their, you know, has been their most consistent weapon offensively almost all season long. And this shuffling has really, you know, caused him to struggle because a lot of what he was taking advantage of just hasn't been there for him. And I, and I'd love to see that change because, and, and I think that the potential is there. Like you said, the, We'd love to see Geeky maybe step up a little bit more offensively. I think he's trying to focus a little too much defensively right now and and what his responsibilities are. He's in his head a little bit. And then when he is in the offensive zone, he's trying to throw his body around a lot, which worked when he was on the wing. It made sense why he was doing that. He was going into the corners. He was trying to dig out the puck, all that kind of stuff. But now that he's playing center it's not really your job anymore. You know what I mean? Like let Donato go and do that. He can, he can handle that. And then, you know, he can, you know, make a play from there. But I feel like with, with geeky, his strength offensively is that shot. We saw that in that skills competition they did, right? He's got Mm -hmm. this great shot. It's super fast. We know he can be accurate with it. It was great to see him get a goal last night, but if you're going to be playing center, I feel like they need to focus thing. They need to kind of change up the focus there as far as what they have guys doing, because he does not need to be banging bodies in the corner right now. No, that's absolutely not his role. And certainly not with, like, as you said, with the Ryan Donato on your line, he will do that for you. Um, You need to, you know, stay to the perimeter and use that to unlock your shot. I mean, Geeky, we know how good of a shot he has, but he's struggled to kind of find ways to get in the position to let it go uh, and to utilize it this season. He did a better job earlier this year, but we just haven't seen that from him very much. He's kind of been try, trying to be a different player recently, it feels like. And I, I just think, again, it hurts with me having McCann out of the lineup. It really does. Mm-hmm. Um, you just need at least one more center in there just to open things up for everyone. Yeah, I, I I feel like that's what they're missing. And it unfortunately has shown kind of a brighter light on Wenberg and his struggles this year. That, yep. you know, he hasn't been there to kind of step up and, and fill that void for them uh, now when they kind of need him more than ever, so to speak. Um, it, it's been rough. Bright spot, Zarnik. Love him every time he's in the lineup. Yeah, he brings great energy. He's a fast skater. Um yeah, love everything that he brings. And you can kind of slot him, you know, wherever you need a little bit more energy on a line. It's good. You know, he doesn't necessarily have that high-end scoring, obviously. Uh, but, yeah, he, he fits in really well anywhere in the bottom six. Yeah, so I, I that's been a really good pickup. I've been really happy with him. Happy to have him around. Um, anything else kind of Kraken specific game-wise you want to talk about before we shift focus, RJ? Uh, one more thing. I do want to highlight the penalty kill because that is, mm-hmm. you know, finish on a positive note. I think that's a positive adjustment uh, that they've made. And it's something that Haxtell's talked a lot about recently. Uh, early on in this losing streak, the penalty kill was just atrocious. And and even it goes before the losing streak. But it was, you know, and, and Haxtell's talked about it. They said, you know, we were just all kind of clumping into the middle. We were giving them all kinds of time. We just weren't feeling confident at all at our attack. And 
they kind of made a decision, an adjustment to be more aggressive. And they've been a lot better since. Um, and, and Haxel, you mentioned, you know, maybe we don't even have the skill to be able to, you know, necessarily win all those battles when we get that aggressive. Uh, but it's a risk we've got to take, you know, at a certain point, just got to get at it, boys. You know, we're not going to, we're just basically slowly dying the more conservative we get and just letting them have the puck on the outside. And I think crack and penalty kill has been noticeably better these last, I think it's three games since they've made that adjustment. So I did just want to point uh, a spotlight that. Yeah, no. And that has been really important. We've talked about that in the post game lives. It's, it has been very, very noticeably better and it's made a big difference and uh, getting Gio all his shorthanded goals. Yeah, I had Geo two shorties in a week. You can see the change in the aggressiveness there when a defenseman uh, is scoring two shorthanded goals in a week. They've been really opportunistic with that. Mm -hmm. uh, and, of course, that's helped them quite a bit. Yes, for sure. Um, all right, so Kraken hockey is obviously a focus at Climate Pledge Arena. It's, you know, arguably part of the reason why they built it, one could say. Uh, but, <laughs> you know, that's not the only hockey that is capable of being played at Climate Pledge Arena, as you found out this past week. So why don't you take us through your experience with the Battle of the Sound? Yes, so I was fortunate enough to be able to go to the Battle of the Sound game uh, between the Seattle Thunderbirds and the Everett Silvertips. Quick shout out to Scott Brand of Chief Seed Sports for offering me a ticket. That was uh, nice of him and good to watch the game with him. Uh, but... It was so cool. Just the atmosphere. That was the first takeaway is the atmosphere was just night and day from a Kraken game. And again, not to say one's necessarily better or worse, but it just so different. It was the true WHL type atmosphere uh, in a rivalry game. Uh, and, and it played out in the crowd on the ice you could tell there was a lot of bad blood there uh, between both teams and both, both fan bases, really. Uh, and to just see that kind of energy was something that was really special and something, you know, that, that you don't necessarily see at a Kraken game. I mean, lots of fights, lots of scrums during the game. You know, I think you know, Thunderbirds played at the like, very end, once the game but decided, got knocked out cold. Um, you know, it, it, on, on what, you know, a lot of T-Birds fans were saying it was a sucker punch. I just missed it. I was watching, it was pretty much a line brawl. I was watching one of the other fights in the corner. Um, but yeah, it just crazy atmosphere. Uh, you know, love to see that the, the chance from the fans, it was, I'd almost describe the crowd as bloodthirsty at times. Um, yeah, there, there's definitely some animosity in that rivalry and really cool to bring it all into climate pledge arena and just have that you know, environment for everyone. Uh, yeah, it was, it was a great experience. Yeah. I'm, I'm really bummed I missed it. It seemed like a ton of fun. Um, it's, it's in some ways not surprising, right? We see that in all the other sports, you go to a minor league baseball game versus an MLB game or an NFL game versus a college football game, right? The experience and the energy is just different when you're watching something like that. And I think that that's, you know, sounds like was kind of the case here. There's that kind of more high energy, you know, hooting and hollering kind of thing going on whenever you're at those kinds of events, you know, kind of for whatever reason, you'd think you'd save it for the highest levels of competition. But I don't know, maybe that has something to do with uh, how pricey those things are maybe. Mm -hmm. Uh, <laughs> and so, uh, you know, I, I'm excited that everybody got to experience that at climate plunge arena. I think it's a great venue to have four games like this. I think that's going to be a really fun thing for them to do moving forward. And then yes, as far as the game itself goes, as you talked about, I mean, WHL, it's a league that's been around a very long time now, and it has always kind of had a reputation uh, for being, you know, certainly amongst the major junior leagues, the most physical, uh, the, the one that you, you kind of got to be a little bit bigger to play there and succeed there uh, back in the day, certainly, and uh, known for, you know, guys, guys, you know, throwing fists and bodies around quite a bit. Certainly, certainly back in the day, WHL really had that mm -hmm. reputation. So uh, kind of fun when you see those you know roots bleed through to the modern day. Oh, yeah. It, the game certainly had a, a throwback type of feel uh, for sure. And, you know, right down to the, the chance from the fans to a lot of T-Birds suck going, you know, and then Everett sucks as the response. There was a group of six kids, like none of them were over 10 years old, I think. They were right behind me and they were just like, Everett sucks. Everett sucks. You know, throughout most of the game. I mean, they, you know, like hit him, hit him. You know, you, it was uh, just what an experience. 
yeah, no, it's awesome. Glad that everybody was able to make that happen. And uh, hopefully we see, you know, a lot more in the future. I think that would be a lot of fun. Yeah, for sure. Make it an annual thing. All right. So, RJ, it is time. The build. The build. Let's, let's, let's <laughs> Not the rebuild. The build. The builds. Let's talk about it. Um, whew, like, where do you even start when it comes to these things? I guess let's just go over the basics of what has made, you know, what, what makes rebuild successful. Like, like the mm-hmm. things that you kind of need. Um, it seems to me, looking back at them, I know you and I were both kind of looking at, like, a good, you know, one specific example that would be a good model for the Kraken, but... It's kind of hard to find something like that. Obviously, their situation is very unique, uh, being an expansion team coming in and then kind of having to do this. Granted, in the past, most expansion teams kind of starting at the bottom and having to figure out a way to, to build a future. Um, but it's it's it seems like to me there's a couple pillars. Number one, first and foremost, is the draft. You have to draft franchise cornerstone players. Like, without that, there is just no way to build a contender, in my opinion. You can maybe cobble together some roster of a bunch of uh, free agent type guys in their prime and all that stuff, but it's so hard for, you know, true franchise centers, per se, to ever hit free agency or to be available in a trade market that really your only option is to draft them. Now, Kraken may have already done that, Bat- Matty Beniers. It sure seems like that as of now, which is a great way to kick things off, but. We'll get more into depth in depth on all that stuff in a second. So first and foremost is the draft and and that building of the foundation that you're going to need in the future. Second is you you know utilizing cap space when you have it, which like like the Kraken do now, which is earlier on in the rebuild. Uh, usually that could be for accumulating more assets, maybe, but it's also being smart with knowing when your franchise cornerstone guys are on rookie deals. And when, you know, you're starting to get into that window where you think you're going to be competitive and then making smart free agent choices to, to supplement those guys and maybe build in some veteran leadership, bring in some veteran leadership and um, good complementary choices for your young players. So that's that's where kind of cap space and free agency comes in. And then finally, coach all rebuilds. It all you know comes down to kind of who the coach is and almost all the teams that we've seen go through rebuilds there there is a moment that you can pinpoint where everything changed and generally that is when they make a coaching swap mm-hmm. at least in my opinion that's those are the moments where it feels like everything changes from this group of guys that was you know okay the team was bad now they're rebuilding they got good young players and then now they're winning stanley cups and that thing between steps two and three there tends to be a coaching change at least in my opinion based on the examples that um i was looking at and, and trying to take notes from so let's go ahead and start with the draft rj i kind of touched on it earlier you need to draft cornerstones um franchise center that's kind of just first and foremost right yeah absolutely that is the most important position that you can have when constructing a hockey team and when you are you know going over your build essentially that is the first spot that needs filling and as you mentioned earlier franchise centers come from the draft they they so so rarely ever come from free agency or trades uh that yeah you if you want a franchise center you pretty much have to draft one and it's very difficult to draft one you know outside the top five the top ten picks you know, generally they come from the draft and they come from very high picks in the draft. Yeah, there's there's no way around that. Go back through trying to think of like all the big, um, you know, like last notable Stanley Cup championship teams, certainly the ones that came off rebuilds. And you can see that right there. Right. Like, let's go back to, uh, you know, uh, 2009, really, with the Penguins. Right. OK, obviously, Sid. Yeah, they also had Malkin. Yep. That's they got two essentially. That's great for them. Chicago got Jonathan Taves. Boston got Patrice Bergeron. You know, what I mean? like the list goes on and on. You go through all these Kings had Kopitar. They all that is the one thing you'll notice about just about every Stanley Cup winning team, and then especially the ones coming out of rebuilds like those. They had franchise centers. You got to have one. It's just that important. Uh, to have a guy that in the playoffs can go out there and play maybe 25 minutes if you need him to and be rock solid defensively as well as, you know, getting at least a point a game when you need him to in those tough seven game series as as the playoffs go on and on and on. 
Uh, we've just seen it year in, year out. Those guys make the difference. Now, to borrow kind of an analogy from Bill Parcells in the football world, he always talked about every you know football team, you need to have four four key pieces, and those are the four places to spend your money and invest everything in because they're the four most important things. Number one, quarterback, obviously. Two, left tackle to protect said quarterback. Three, an edge rusher. And then four, a corner. So you kind of got your two good, you know, rock solid things on offense. If you have a good quarterback and that quarterback has time to be effective, you're going to win a lot of games. And then on defense, if you have somebody to get after the quarterback or put pressure on them, uh, and then somebody who can, you know, take the ball away or at least shut down what the other team's quarterback is trying to do, you're going to win a lot of football games. And, you know, he said that probably 30 years ago now, and lo and behold, it's still basically proven to be true. Look at, you know, any Super Bowl winning team. So for hockey, I feel like the other thing that we can look at when it comes to a lot of these teams is, you know, they all had their franchise center. They all had some pretty good defensemen too, especially one key guy that they could really lean on when they need to, to play upwards of 30 minutes a night if needed during a playoff run. And you just know that they have things covered. And then uh, goaltending. Because, you know, obviously a hot goaltender can can do a lot for a team during a playoff run. But... Um, I just think to to have a guy that you know you can roll into kind of every playoff with, that's that's something special. I I guess I might argue with you on the goaltending point, um, but on on the defense on the defense point for sure you need just like you need a franchise center you need a franchise defenseman especially recently we've seen the examples you look at the last two years of the Lightning and Victor Hedman uh, you know such a special defenseman and really a guy who like you said can play 30 minutes a night if you need him to mm-hmm. uh, and can excel in the offense and defensive aspects you know elite moving the puck out of his own zone, elite shutting things down in his own zone. Um, and, and you've seen that, you know, on a lot of these cup winning teams, you know, the, I think the Kings had Drew Doughty, you mm-hmm. know, definitely one of those guys. The Blackhawks had Duncan Keith, you know, in those prime years, the Bruins had Zdeno Chara. Um, yep. And it's just something that really you kind of do need uh, to be a contender along with that number one center goaltending. On the other hand, you absolutely need good goaltending for sure. Uh, but, you know, as I can get into more about the details of it, I think there's different ways you can get that. You certainly you look at Stanley Cup winners. Right, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, look, I'm not I'm not trying to rehash the should you pay a goaltender mm-hmm. argument and, and how much of your cap you should devote to a goaltender. But the key thing that I see, especially with the teams that really kind of came out of rebuilds, as opposed to maybe the you know one offs like the St. Louis Blues in here, when you're looking at these past cup, you know, winning teams was they they kind of they rode for the most part, you know, solid goaltenders. They did turn them over in there, like Blackhawks did and the um, Penguins did between, you know, some wins and stuff. But they always made sure that they had somebody that that could play 60 games in the regular season and then they knew wasn't going to fall apart for them in the playoffs. Like they, you know what I mean? Like they were going to always be good enough back there. And I feel like that is something that, you know, you have to be aware of going into the playoffs because we've seen great teams kind of crumble because of goaltending. Yeah, we certainly have. Um, but, and, and, you know, again, won't, not to rehash the whole thing, but I think it is possible certainly to have a goalie who's unproven, who you don't know that about, you know, a, a Jordan Binnington, say, or an Auntie Niemi in 2010, or, you know, even a Tristan Jari for the Penguin. I mean, not Tristan Jari, sorry, a Matt Murray for the Penguins coming in. You know, remember how unproven he was, you know, going into 2016. I, it's possible. Yeah, I mean, I, I, again, not saying that they have to be, you know, from they have to have bit you know five years of nhl experience or anything mm-hmm. right um i think a lot of that has to do with them just being fresh i think that's a big thing that we could talk about is you know one of the reasons why you don't see dynasties is because it's hard to play that much hockey every single season and it's especially hard to do that as a goaltender um but all those guys they still had decent track records bennington had a track record before that and again like i said blues kind of something different there matt murray had a very long ahl track record the penguins knew exactly what they had in him there's a reason they transitioned the year they did right and and they went with him and and things worked Niemi and then going into Crawford for the Blackhawks like they knew what they had in those guys it was not kind of a question mark it wasn't like hey we're bringing in this free agent this year you know what I mean I guess that's what I'm trying to say these were these are goalies that were kind of around in these team systems for a while they understood who they were they had molded them to be what they wanted them to be in a lot of ways Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I mean, it's... <laughs> I, I do think, yeah, that, like certainly with the Matt Murray example, you know, they, they knew what his AHL track record was. And yeah, you do need a goalie who at least in that moment you can feel very confident in. So uh, yeah, goaltending is the most important. You know, we can argue about what, what the way is to get that good goaltending in the right times. But yeah, it's certainly a must have. Yeah. And uh, I think there's something to the, the young guys not knowing what they don't know. Like the pressure doesn't quite get to them the same way because they, you know, they're, they're just trying to take it all in. You know what I mean? We've seen that a lot from, I think, rookie goaltenders in the playoffs. They're so focused on just like still getting used to everything that the pressure doesn't really hit them. Um, so, all right, we'll, we'll, we'll shelve that because we could argue about the goaltending thing all, all day. Vasilevsky I'd use as another argument though, to prove, mm -hmm. you know, guy, <laughs> guy in the organization they have around for a long time. Like that's, that is just, I think the way to do it. Uh, you don't see very many free agent goalie signings in these past, you know, t two decades of Stanley cup winners. Um, so, so drafting and developing, we agree on the center, agree on defensemen. When it comes to guys like wingers, I feel like that's where you want to, you want to draft and develop the young cheap guys kind of down buried in your lineup. I think that we've seen that, you know, obviously that they make a big difference. Your bottom six makes a big difference when it comes to which teams win Stanley cup, which teams don't, don't have to, you know, again, just look at any of these rosters that have won Stanley cups. The fact that you can name who their third and fourth line centers are, the fact that you can name some wingers off their fourth line, it speaks a lot about what, you know, what is going on. And that just comes from, kind of looking at what you want to do late in drafts. A lot of these guys later draft picks. They're not always free agents, right? We talk about bringing in free agents. They're not always, these guys aren't always free agents. Maybe the centers sometimes are depth centers, but a lot of times the depth wingers are just guys that you had in the organization. Again, you mold them yourself to be what you want them to be. The Penguins have molded so many wingers coming through the AHL to be what they know they need to be playing with either Crosby or Malkin. And that saves them money. And it creates this kind of never ending supply of these guys where they can get good and then go get paid somewhere else. But you got a body to fill that void, so to speak, you know what I mean? And you're going to be set. So I, I do think like later in the draft, I would just target wingers like crazy and, and know that, you know, you're just going to kind of make them what you want them to be later on. Exactly. And that's where development is so important, you know, knowing within the system what you're going to need. And that's something that the Penguins had this great luxury of being able to do, knowing that you're going to have a Sidney Crosby and a Getty Malkin for over a decade. You know, basically, you just need to mold these wingers to be able to play with those two guys because you know that the franchise is going to be build around, built around them. And I think we might see with the Kraken one day, you know, where mm -hmm. they you're going to be drafting wingers late in the draft could kind of mold them knowing that they, you know, okay, this guy's got to be good playing with Matty Beneers or potentially playing with Shane Wright. You know, let's look for a fit there. Uh, and that's probably the way to go about things with these late draft picks. Right. Or even Jared McCann. He's, yeah. He's not too old or anything. I think he can definitely be part of, you know, a, a decade long look for this franchise, right? He'd be getting old towards the end of that decade, mm -hmm. but for, you know, a good solid six years from now, he's still going to be, you know, he'll be what 30. Like that's, that's far from being too <laughs> old. Um, in the NHL these days. So I, I just think that that stuff's the important stuff. You look at, you contrast that with a team like Washington, right? All world talent in Ovechkin. Nobody can question that, but, because that was their piece starting, right? A winger. It was that much harder for them to build a complete team around him that was able to win Stanley Cup. And still, it took them a very, very long time to win one. And they won just that one. Yep. And it was because they had centers who stepped up. Nicholas Backstrom was there the mm -hmm. whole time. But really, you look at, you know, might be the MVP of that playoff run, Evgeny Kuznetsov yep. as another center that they had. And it wasn't until they had those centers that they could really roll out there that they ended up winning the Cup. Yeah, and, and they made some moves defensively, and then again, coaching, uh, playing, yes, coaching. Uh, playing a big role there too, uh, as we'll get to. So drafting, got to find that franchise center. Ideally, you'd love to have two. I mean, that would be amazing. Uh, but not everybody has that luxury. We'll see what the Kraken, you know, and where they end up in the draft lottery this year, if, if they can pull something like that off. Um, but then, yes, you need a, you need a defenseman. You need somebody that you can that you can lean on to help out offensively, but most importantly, make sure they help shut things down defensively long term. And then, you know, you guys all heard it. We're we're split on the goaltending thing. I think it's important to draft and develop your own goaltender. It keeps things cheap, and I think you can know what their strengths and weaknesses are for something like a playoff run. Um. All right. So, 
once you've done that, and I know that that is far you know easier said than done, drafting and all that stuff, but assuming the Kraken continue down that road that we've seen them with guys like Matty Beneers, Riker Evans, love Riker Evans. I don't know that he's that kind of like, you know, 1D defenseman that's going to be this, you know, monster minute muncher that they can mm-hmm. count on all a, a Duncan Keith or a Drew Doughty. But I think he's going to be a really, really solid option for them back there. Um, that's when you start looking at, okay, as these guys develop, as they start entering their primes, as you're starting to look to pay them, you got to start rounding out this, this team now. This is the key time where it's like, okay, you have to keep track of whose entry-level contracts are coming up when. Are they looking at bridge deals or do you want to try to lock them up long term? What's your strategy there? I'm in favor of locking them up long term. Just makes things so much easier. And we've seen that from teams. Look at Toronto for an example of not doing that. <laughs> really. Right? Like they're they're every year they're having to shuffle things around cap wise because it seems like one of their great players is up and it's, you know, just this mess of trying to pay everybody constantly. And it keeps you from being able to kind of build out a long term plan, which you need. You need to be able to bank on I know how much this guy's going to cost, you know, four or five years down the line. I think that's really important. Would you agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. And I'm definitely in the camp of locking guys up long term if you, you know, kind of know no think you know what you have it's very important and that's where you get teams that are able to kind of build off guys because once you get guys on bargain deals you know that's that's what you can do i mean you look at carolina i mean that's kind of the example that i think of a team that likes to lock guys up i look at their blue line you know jacob slavin they have him signed for another four years at 5.3 million you know that's a steal for what he is mm-hmm. you know um they they went acquired brady shea with term at 5.25 brett pesci at 4 million you know those are all guys that are you know they're all 27 they've all you know signed for term there and it's about you know committing to the players that you have and but you've got to be right obviously it can it can go bad if you're wrong about what they are but i think you know the risk is worth the reward there right and that's something that i think is is key too and i know as fans right we're going to be lifelong fans right that could be 50 more years but when you're a general manager you're, you know, you could be fired the next day, just about any day, you know what I mean? And so mm-hmm. you have to do your best to, to draft. And then if you, if you think you have them, it is better just to go ahead and try to commit to them long-term. Don't try to wait, do the whole wait and see thing. I've, I can't point to any examples around the NHL right now where the kind of wait and see, cause we're on the fence about whether or not this guy is the guy has actually paid off for that team seems like it causes a lot more headaches than just committing to them and and knowing okay this is that number that i'm gonna have to deal with from here on out i just i I think it's it's much better to do that build a plan around it and if it works great and if it doesn't guess what you're fired that's sports you know what i mean like you have so i mean think yeah thinking of the kraken sorry go ahead well i was gonna say you've only got one shot at any rebuild every general manager every coach everybody right the only constants are going to be the fans and the owners those are the only ones it's important that once you have these guys i think you have to commit to them and you have to go all in on it like your job depends on it because at the end of the day it does nobody lasts through multiple rebuilds so it's true that's that's all i wanted to throw out there is that i think that's also a key we see teams try to play it safe because guys are trying to hold on to their job and stave off firings and all that kind of stuff seeing that right now kind of in edmonton right it's keeping Mm -hmm. them from just committing to some sort of plan and just going for it and and it's going to set that franchise back, and those they're going to waste a lot of good years of uh, McDavid and Drysaddle because of it. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, no, I would say even well now now you bring up Edmonton, I I want to mention even with um, you know the one instance where I think they did say okay he's our guy we've got to commit here was Leon Drysaddle, mm-hmm. where you know it's easy to see him obviously as a superstar as he, that he is now, but there were still a lot of question marks around him when he signed that long term deal in Edmonton. And you ended up getting a guy like that locked up at 8.5 million a year, you know, for another four years, you know, and, and it was a longer term contract than that. It's, it's a steal, you know, versus if they had just waited, signed another bridge deal, you're looking at paying him, you know, 12 million, he's going to ask for McDavid money and, right. and rightfully so. So, you know, those are the kind of deals that you do have to make. And I think with the Kraken, they had the one that they have coming up right away is Jared McCann. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so, you know, they're going to have to make that decision on him. Yeah. And I would rather see them commit, Maybe overpay for a guy, but commit to it and have him committed for the long term. You can work around overpaying one guy. You can. 
Like every every team basically has somebody on their roster that they're overpaying. Like that's that's just the nature of the beast. But you can't be in a constant state of flux, a la like I said, a Toronto where you're just trying to figure out this situation kind of endlessly because every, you signed everybody to bridge deals. And I know that that was really popular, you know, two, three years ago, it seemed like, right? Everybody coming off their entry-level contract, it was, okay, well, we're going to sign them to a bridge deal. It's kind of the best of both worlds. They can get maybe a little bit more money now and then prove that they're the guy. And for us, we don't have to commit to anybody long-term. But that kills you if that guy is the guy because then now you're having to pay an exorbitant amount of money to him. Whereas before, you could have been locked in at something. Yes, maybe you're overpaying them, but every NHL team has one of those guys. And we've seen so many teams find ways to get out of those contracts too that it's it's not that big a deal. And guess what? Those GMs, they're all fired anyway. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, I mean, you don't have to worry about it You know, yourself in that job. Yeah, and the Leafs got the worst of both worlds because they signed the bridge deals and they didn't get a discount. Yep. They signed the bridge deals at full money value. I mean, Mitch Marner, of course, the most prominent yes. example of that, where you sign the bridge deal and you've got to give him, you know, 11, you know, 11 per, which is, is or 10 point, you know, whatever per it is. You know, yeah. at least like the Canucks, you look at the bridge deal, they just signed with Pedersen. They get him at 7.3, which right. is obviously less than he's worth on the open market. But at least you get a discount. The Leafs just got none of that. Yeah. And I and I just think the bridge deals, I, I know agents are probably in favor of it, but uh, mm-hmm. I think if you're a team, you got to you got to double down and you got to take that risk because the bottom line is and again, GMs, this is in their back of their minds, but they never want to talk about it. You're never going to hear one of them talk about it. But the bottom line is it's a big dart throw at the draft, even at picking first overall. Right. There's 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 plenty of horror stories about who you take first overall. So you, you know, it's already hard enough to hit at the draft and get that franchise cornerstone. But then there is that moment where you do have to figure out, okay, am I going to gamble again and commit to this person again? And the bottom line is all the teams that did that and they committed to this person twice, both drafting them high and then committing to them early on, just paying them, making sure they locked them up as soon as possible. They paid off. And, and yes, there are examples that didn't. I'm not trying to say it works 100% of the time. But again, if you're a GM, you just got to do that. You just got to you just gotta go all in with your guys because the bottom line is you're only ever going to get one shot at, at a group of guys. You, gotta, you just have faith in the system and have faith in yourself. And I feel like um, the situations where we don't see that, things are bad. This is where, bring it back to the Kraken, I feel like Ron Francis is that kind of guy. He's the kind of guy who has oh, yeah, faith sure. in his abilities. He knows what he likes. We saw that with Beneers paid off huge right they took him second overall there were questions i even questioned it i was like i don't know about this guy's offense even maddie benier said my offense is not where it should be kind of thing um but ron francis was very steadfast in no this is the guy and then boom you know early early results proven that ron francis knew what he was talking about so i want to throw that out there i just think it's important that guys commit now commit to the players maybe not so much to the coach rj because as I said before, one of the key things that we could notice with all of these teams is um, they made coaching changes and then they won. It was not mm-hmm. the it was not the coach that was around during the rebuild. And I know we can joke about sacrificial coaches, coaches that are there just to kind of tank on the job, so to speak. You don't want to pay them that much. You're not bringing in a big name because you know, all right, we just got to accumulate draft assets here for the next year or two. Uh, so we're going to kind of go cheap, give somebody their start, let them build a resume, and then they can go somewhere and, and all that stuff. Um, but yes, it it is crazy looking at this list of, of past Stanley Cup winning teams, RJ, especially in the you know the, the cap era. You've, of course, got Dan Bilesmo with the Penguins. Come in, win the Stanley Cup there. That, that works out great for them. Quinville came into Chicago a couple years later. They're starting to win their Stanley Cups. Sutter with the Kings, uh, and then Mike Sullivan again with the Penguins, right? Making yeah. that that shift. It's just and Sutter and Sullivan the season of. I mean, Sutter was brought in mid season and saved the and basically saved the year. Got him into the eighth spot, and mm-hmm. they win the cup that year. Right, exactly. And uh, Barry Trotz, of course, in Washington that that helped out too. Um, yeah. So what what is it you think about making that change in coach? And is there something special about these coaches in particular? Or is it just kind of right place, right time, you think? I think, you know, it can be a little bit, you know, a little bit of both. And because and you see sometimes the coach's messages wear off, you know, after a few years. But I think there are different styles of coach that you want. 
for a rebuild versus, you know, when you're contending. I think that's something that, that you see pretty consistently. I mean, you know, Quenville certainly known as, you know, a, a win now type of coach. Um, you know, I, I think also, you know, for, for the blues, you know, going more recently, you know, bringing in, in Barubi, I know he was, a, you know, a newer head coach, but you know, just the, the hard defensive, no nonsense style, you know, that he has, and, you know, even getting a, a little rough at times, uh, you know, as, as far as how the, the team plays, I think there is just definitely this different, you know, coaching style that, that maybe you need when you're trying to be really competitive and win right away. Yeah. And obviously uh, Sutter might be known for some of that stuff too. Yeah. Daryl Sutter, for sure. I was trying to remember who the, uh, the coach before him was. Oh, that's a good question. Was it Mark Crawford? I think it was Mark Crawford. Yeah, it might have been. <laughs> uh, it's been a while. Um, yeah, no, it's it is interesting. Bosma's kind of like the odd man out in this whole group, mm-hmm. uh, as far as you know. In in that situation, I think they just needed somebody fun. Like I think their situation was very unique in that you have Crosby and you have that media spotlight and you have you know franchises like being salvaged from bankruptcy and I think that there was a lot of pressure on that locker room so they needed somebody just to come in and just relax everybody Uh, but I do think that yes a lot of the other times it's you have the rebuild and you have all your kids and then there's a there's a time where okay they have matured as NHL players and they need to, you know, they, they can put up all the points and all that stuff now. Now's the time where they need to mature as men and they need to mature as leaders and they need to mature as winners. And that's when you got to bring in somebody who's a little more hard nosed, a little more no nonsense, a little more knows what it takes to grind through things and can lead them and get them to buy into that. And that's where I think we see teams struggle today. Or um, lots of other examples of teams that tried to go through rebuilds but weren't able to fully get there. You know what I mean? They they just didn't nail that coaching hire that that shifted things for them, that that made that difference for them, got those guys to grow up a little bit. You know, we're seeing that in Vancouver right now. They're trying to do that with um, Boudreaux. It's that is just something that I think is that special sauce that is ultimately what led to the you know quote unquote dynasties of the salary cap age, so to speak. Yeah, agreed. Uh, coaching is it's just a huge factor, and a, a couple teams I could see maybe have to make that decision soon are uh, Colorado with Jared Bednar. If they yep. if they don't do well in the playoffs this year, I am definitely you know of the opinion he's kind of that rebuild coach, not the compete coach. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the Kings with Todd McClellan, we'll see how he does. But you know he's kind of led them through the rebuild, but we'll see if you know if he's the guy for now that they're competitive. Yeah, I think that one's going to be something to look at. Dallas Eakins and Anaheim, kind of same thing. You know, mm-hmm. so it's all cool now, but, you know, a year year or two from now when Zegras is like a point-per-game player and all that, and you got McTavish in there, what does that look like with Dallas Eakins? You know, kind of a, a great AHL-level guy, good developer of talent. Does he have what it takes to lead them through a seven-game slog of a series against, uh, you know, a St. Louis or a Winnipeg that's just going to try to beat them up physically every night? I don't know. Mm-hmm. So uh, that is something there. So let's kind of fold all this back in on the Kraken draft. They've already got a great start with guys like Beniers, Riker Evans. Maybe the potential's there. We'll have to wait and see. Even still, he's going to be a great guy to have around for them. And they're, you know, they're they're doing it. They're going to be active at the trade deadline, accumulate more assets. Big part of all these rebuilds, right? They bottomed out and they used their own picks effectively, but almost all of them brought in you know, outside help there as well. Yes. And we started talking about the draft, but with all these rebuilds, you know, as you kind of rewind a little bit behind that, as you said, it starts with accumulating assets, usually selling off those last pieces Mm -hmm. of the prior team, the prior core and getting what assets you can for them. Uh, The Kraken, a little different situation here is they're all, you know, just about a year old with the team, but you've got to sell off the assets that you can and kind of recoup that draft value, especially since you failed to do so at the expansion draft. So that's going to be a huge to start this off uh, for the Kraken, you know, this year at the trade deadline, just get as many draft picks as you can because you're going to need them. Right, and uh, and I think that's they're going to do that. Uh, it's going to be fun to look forward to when it comes to that. But uh, they're they're on the right track from a draft perspective. Maybe you already got that franchise center cornerstone. Um, it's it's certainly looking like that. You're going to have another really high pick this year. You're going to be picking high all all seven rounds. So that is very helpful. Yeah. Um, 
looking ahead, it's too early to know when the time is to strike when it comes to free agency. It's probably going to be a year or two off. Now, I have a feeling this is where things could go a little sideways for them. I have a feeling that they're going to be very active this year in free agency because I think the message is going to be, hey, let's maybe speed up this this build, this plan that Ron Francis had, the three to five year plan. Um, do you think bringing in a, a, let's say, a Forsberg this year or a Johnny Gaudreau, does that totally like wreck them moving forward if they commit financially to someone that's you know, 27, 28 now? You know, given what the window is, and I'm sorry to you know ruin the fun here, but I do think it would be a mistake because ultimately you have to plan for what your timeline is. And when you've got Beneers and, and Riker Evans and Ryan Winterton and whoever you take in the first and second rounds this year, by the time that they're really in and hitting their prime, you're going to have a scoring winger who's maybe 31 or 32. And those guys really tend to decline around those ages. It will help things right away. Uh, but I think if you are going with the true build through the draft plan, it doesn't make sense. So, yeah. but, but it's going to help things a lot right away. So it depends on what you think your timeline is. And that's probably been the most confusing thing that we've seen from the Kraken since they started is there's really no clear idea of what the timeline is. If you were just going build through the draft, be competitive through the draft, then, you know, you don't sign Jaden Schwartz. You don't sign Larson Alexiak. You don't sign Philip Grubauer. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see kind of what the plan is there. Yeah, I guess a lot of what we're seeing is the stuff that worked pre-salary cap being introduced. You know what I mean? Like a, a lot of what we're seeing. this, Their current situation reminds me a lot of the Ducks back when they won their Stanley Cup, right? And that, that was kind of the old model that could work was you could bring in guys in free agency, you could have kind of your aging core, and then you just supplement them with the young, cheap, high draft picks that you had from a couple years ago, right? 2007, they have Pronger and Niedermeyer, they're eating up everything, both free agent acquisitions, but you had guys further down, you had the Getzloffs, the Perrys, the Bobby Ryans, the Dustin Penners, all those guys, you know being the difference maker in the bottom six roles on offense and being the cheap talent to kind of supplement that in those early days of the salary cap. I just don't think you can build a team like that anymore. I, I don't, I think maybe you can, and maybe you get lucky on a one year run where you get a really hot goaltender and it all works for you, but there's no way to build any sort of long-term competitive team uh, that way anymore. It just doesn't exist, unfortunately. Yeah, there really isn't. And you did mention uh, kind of what I was going to get at, where you can have a one-year run. Uh, it was talked about last year, the, the Montreal model mm -hmm. of, you know, having, uh, you know, those younger guys kind of go up and, and be the depth pieces, but have the guys, you know, on the bigger contracts, like a Carey Price and a Shea Weber hold everything down. Uh, and yeah, it seemed like it might be a workable model at the time. We've seen how that's completely fallen apart this season. It's just really not the way to go. No, it is. It is not. Uh, several teams have tried it. Minnesota tried it for several years, right? Yeah, Co with Parisi and Suter. Yep. yep, yep. They tried to do it. It just, uh, it just can't work given the way the league is set up right now, uh, the financials of it all. It's just too hard to to make it all work. Um, so unfortunately, there maybe looking at you know if you want them to be truly successful for a prolonged period of time, it's just going to take a little while. Unfortunately, it's just the way it is. And then coaching. So obviously lots of talk about Hackstall recently. Multiple very long losing streaks. Season has really gone off the rails at this point. It, people talking yesterday, right? Like there's no way he comes back. Everybody's putting it, you know, they just they just don't see it. I still I'm with you. I think there is a chance he comes back, but he's not going to be the coach that sees them through to the end, so to speak. You know what I mean? If yeah, I think if when they become, become competitive yeah. At this point, yeah, we can argue about, you know, kind of whether he's back for next season or whatnot, but I just, I cannot picture a scenario where he's the coach that leads the crack into the Stanley Cup. No, I, I don't think that it's going to happen that way. And again, unfortunately, I, nothing against him. Love him. I, you know, and it, and it sucks talking about someone's job like this, right? His livelihood, just like, oh no, just fire him, get rid of him, whatever, uh, right? Uh, it is something to keep in mind that, you know, all these people have jobs and a lot of times it's not just him, right? It's then everybody on the staff too that, yep. that, that also goes. So you're talking about a lot more jobs uh, than just one person. It is something to keep in mind. Um, and yeah, there's, ab 
there's absolutely a human element to it. You know, these are people, and and in the Kraken's case, you know, good people, people that are easy to root for, seeing Hackstall behind the scenes every day. You know, he is a really good, nice person, uh, you know, and, and again, someone who's easy to root for and, you know, that you want the best for, for sure. Right. Uh, I just think it's probably too early to even speculate on what the coach, the coaching change should be that would be the catalyst to launch them into contention you know what i mean like like we talked about all these they came at a specific point in time and i don't feel like the kraken are really there yet right no i think there's still a lot of pieces left to be added to be fit in before you're ready for that i think you're still kind of in that build phase and usually coaches kind of get free reign to just stay through that whole build phase no matter how bad it gets results on the ice uh, you know, we, we saw that last season with the Ducks and Dallas Deacons where, you know, there are probably stretches there where a lot of other coaches would have been fired. But, mm-hmm. you know, this is what the rebuild is. This is, you know, you get that kind of leeway. But I don't know, in this case, with Haxtell, just given these long losing streaks, I, I, I and given that the fact that it's a newer team, that's what it is. That's the really fact it. It's an expansion team. You, you can't be having that versus if you're if you're 10, 20 years into a franchise's history. You know, the fans are, are kind of seasoned enough. They've been through everything. Uh, but really, the time is of the essence right now. And I think that might end up costing Hackstall his job at some point. Right. That is that is the difference maker here. It was the expectations. You know, no matter how much any of us tried to cool them, comparing them to Vegas and all that stuff, it's just, it is one of those things where with the expansion model the way it was, the expectations coming into this season the sports market that Seattle is, right? People care a lot. They are passionate. It is not a sports market where you can kind of coast through. If the season went off the rails, okay, whatever, you just fade into the background. doesn't happen like that in Seattle. So um, I think all that kind of, unfortunately for Hackstall, is working against him in this situation because otherwise I would be far more confident in him staying around, certainly through next year. But that is what gives me pause. But... That is kind of our deep dive into rebuilds. Is there anything, you know, you want to mention, throw in here before we uh, close this thing up? Yeah, I mean, I guess, uh, you know, in the, in the Kraken's case, it, it's just it's going to look different than it has for mm-hmm. any other team. Dylan and I, over the last couple of days in researching for this, tried to find examples of that was something that was a like for like situation, something that we could really compare as, okay, this is the exact model for what the Kraken need to do. And because of the expansion draft scenario, because of, you know, it being a, a franchise just coming into its first year, I don't know about you, I I couldn't come up with anything no, that there, was, that was exact. No, there isn't. Cause you look at like previous expansion teams, like pre the, the new kind of age model of it. And they, those don't quite line up either because the Kraken were starting with, you know, certainly better assets to have at a trade deadline per se. And, and certainly from a more competitive standpoint, at least on paper, um, than any of those teams did, but they weren't, you know, they didn't like kind of rocket off the starting line the way Vegas did either, where they're just like in contention mode right away. Like there is just no comp for this. No, there really isn't. And, and those other expansion teams also were operating pre-salary caps. So, yeah. you know, that changes a lot of things. And then, yeah, with Vegas, Vegas got, you know, I'd argue maybe two or three times the assets mm-hmm. that the Kraken did to start. So Ron Francis is really going to have to kind of blaze his own path here. There's not a set model. And, you know, that's going to make things more challenging, certainly for him. Uh, but also more interesting for us, you know, following the team, covering the team, and, you know, as fa- as fans of the team, it's going to be really interesting to see the path that the Kraken create for themselves because it's going to look different than anything else we've seen before. Yeah, there is there is that chance that you can maybe do something and thread the needle where, you know, if you, if you need to because of uh, pressures make a signing or something this off season while at the same time, you know, you can bring in Maddie Beneers for next year, get him going, have a high draft pick, you know, this year, potentially more uh, on top of that, depending on what you do at the deadline. Maybe there is a way for, for them to find that way to thread that needle of building like a good contending team using their kind of future pieces as depth players. And then as the, the older competitive guys age out or leave in free agency or whatever, those young guys are then ready to come in and be the new core, so to speak. And maybe you can find a way to have kind of two little eras 
of being a really competitive hockey team, but it's it's going to be tough. That is for sure. Yeah, if there's if there's one thing that you know we've come away with after this, it, it's going to be a challenge. Yeah, it it just is. Um, that that is just the way it is. Unfortunately, lots of like I said earlier, lots of gambling going on. You got to gamble at the draft when picking these guys, and you got to gamble as far as committing to them and really you know just just trying to make it all work. And then coach too. You you gotta yep. you gotta commit to the right guy there, and that's a gamble. So it takes a lot to make it all work. But once you have it, as we've seen in the salary cap era. You can you can sustain that for a while, which is the dream. Yep. <laughs> exactly. Yep. Build sustainably as you know. Team that plays in climate pledge arena got to build sustainably. Exactly. It's an important thing to keep in mind. Um, thanks everybody for joining us for this episode of the Deep Dive Podcast. Hope you all enjoyed it. Uh, fun week of cracking hockey, you know, ahead of us, and uh, we're gonna catch you all next time. <laughs> <laughs>